Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. We have got a busy Thursday afternoon coming along for you, with you, on Sports Talk Mississippi from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, that is the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Two 18-hole championship courses, the Oaks and the Azaleas. You can book a tee time online at DancingRabbitGolf.com. You want to be a part of the conversation, love to visit with you. On the Ceasefire text line, want to give your business the edge? Get gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business, backed by world class IT experts who live where you do, right here in Ceasefire Country. Check availability now at ceasefire.com slash business. Thanks as always for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Boys, we're close to the uh, close to the weekend. We got started with college football last night. UCF, uh, no issue with SMU. It was close at halftime, and then it wasn't close as uh, UCF gets the win there. No games tonight, NFL game tonight, and then we get rolling with the weekend. What's up? You did the little Collinsworth slide in there. Do you like that? Yeah. I'm going to try something new to slide in. Going to use that for tomorrow for sure. Uh, No, it's good. Busy Thursday, like you said. It, It feels like this week has kind of unceremoniously gone by. And I don't mean that negatively. I mean, it's just, it's mm. Thursday. It's like, whoa, we're already here. It's like, I, I, I mean, we, we have so much that we've already talked about, so much going on this weekend. And I feel like I've blinked and we're already on Thursday. I don't know why I feel that way, but it's, it went by fast. In it's crazy way- how two people can have completely different viewpoints yeah. of the same thing. I feel like this week has dragged. I feel like it's still like Tuesday. I'm just like, when are we going to get to the weekend? Is is what I'm wondering. So yeah, it's it's funny how that works. I wonder yeah. if Jimbo Fisher's just hoping that this week will fast forward to Sunday. Whew. He's hoping this year will fast forward to New Year's Day. You know what we're going to do? And I'm sure we'll spend more time on this later. But by we, I mean sports media. Some people are going to be Jimbo apologists. And they're going to do this thing when they go six and six and say, "Well, by the way, breaking news: uh, Max Johnson out for the year." Uh, but they're going to do this thing. Well, you know, his quarterback got hurt. 
This wasn't his quarterback. Haynes King was his quarterback. That's who he chose. So that's going to be used as an excuse for some people for why their season went bad. Is Oh, well, you know, his quarterback got hurt. How many teams can survive their quarterback getting hurt? No, no, no. His chosen backup quarterback got hurt. There's a difference. So who's going to play quarterback now? Haynes King. The Is guy, it going to be Haynes King, or are they going to go to the freshman? If I'm they will go to the freshman this week. Yeah, that's a bad week to throw a. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a good you match. Just get in there, kid. We support you. Go team. Yeah, but they, they yeah. are approaching that point after a big loss this weekend. They are approaching that point of this season's a wash. If if we think this kid is our future, make the future be now. Yeah, I would yes. get through this week, and then South Carolina, I turn the reins over. Yeah, so you look at A&M's schedule. It's Alabama this week. It's almost like we've been talking about that. And then they have an open date following Alabama. If you believe that it's Wiegand, right? W-I-E-G-A-N-D, isn't that his name? You used to call him Wiegman. Wiegman. Oh, it's Wiegman. I thought it was Wiegman. Okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Wiegman. Anyway, uh, yeah, if you believe in this kid as the future of your program, as your future quarterback, then Haynes King has to take the beating at Alabama for being no good in the first place when you kind of put your apples in the Haynes King basket. This is his punishment. And then you spend starting Sunday night – the 9th of October, you, you spend the next 12 days getting Wigman ready for a road trip to South Carolina. Yep. That, that makes sense. And I don't think, I don't think that Jimbo's job is in favor, but like Hayda had said yesterday, I finally heard the audio from the Feinbaum caller saying that a hitman is cheaper than a $90 million buyout. Yeah. That's, Wasn't making it up. That's jarring. Like, like that's not a dude just saying a bad joke on a radio show. That's a dude that's got some problems. I don't think he's going to hire a hitman or anything, but I think somebody needs to knock on his door to make sure he's okay. Uh, anyway. How, how did Feinbaum react? I still haven't heard the clip. He said, I'm trying to figure out what he just said. I think he pretended like he didn't hear it. Because yeah, he heard like, it. I mean, he, he, he heard it. He enabled it. Instead of just saying, okay, that's unacceptable and you need serious help, sir, and we're going to send your phone information to the authorities. He said, oh, I don't, what did he say? Yeah, just, it was one of those. But, so I don't think his job is in jeopardy. I don't. I mean, $85 million stroking a check for that, even for them. Especially if it's if they are really just oil tycoons, that might not be something they're leaning into right now. Um. But you can use that kind of as a, as an excuse, right? As a, a way to lessen the blow of the season is, hey, look, oh, well, transition wonderful. year, we've got this freshman that we played. And that, that that's a way that you can spin it to keep your job for another year. It's it's happened before. Keep his job for another Did you see the numbers today from his buyout that, that, were, that were published? Yeah. If they, yeah, I mean, it just, if they it just wait goes down 20, by $9.5 million a year. It's, but, but you, when you see it on paper, it's like, they, he could have five straight losing seasons. They could fire mm-hmm. him in 2026 and say, that's all right, we've had enough. They'd still owe him $48.9 million. It's half of 95, right? 
I'm just going to say I'm going to say two things, and I'm going to speak for all of us. And if I if I don't speak for you, I'm sorry, but I think we I should. One, if you and if any of you send us a text that says you're going to kill Mike Leach, uh, Lane Kiffin, or Will Hall, we're going to turn you over to the cops. I just want to let you know. Just giving you that heads up right yes. now. And two, Ross Bjork shouldn't be allowed to manage a Culver's. How is this guy still an athletic director? This is how is this possible? This By guy way, is an idiot. I, I I think that the math is off. I think it's only forty-seven five. That they Never mind. Have. Never mind. Everything I just said about Ross Bjork, take it away. It's clearly fiscally responsible. So Max Johnson has a broken hand in his throwing hand. We did kind of bury the lead. I know Borky threw it in there. Ian Fitzsimmons of ESPN Radio, who lives in Texas and is pretty well connected, is the one who reported that. Suffered the injury to his left hand. That is his throwing hand in last week's loss to Mississippi State. Could miss the remainder of the season. Seems likely since we're at about the halfway point. He's thrown for 517 yards and three touchdowns, 18 of 25 for 201 and a touchdown against Mississippi State. You remember that he transferred from LSU, did not win the job in the offseason. It was Haynes King, who was the starter a year ago, got injured, never came back a season ago. Haynes King wins the job once again, and then he did come in late in the game against uh, against Mississippi State. You could tell. I don't know if you guys because could his injury see it. happened. Yeah, I don't know if you guys could see it from the press box. Hey, Dad, but he tried to keep playing after he heard it, and he threw a mm-hmm. couple of passes that looked like my three year old, almost three year old throwing. I mean, just had, could not even hold the football, let alone throw it. I mean, he he was hurt. From what I can bad. tell, he and from what I can tell, he and Tyrus Wheat uh, hands collided on a pass, mm. and obviously uh, Johnson got the worst of it. Uh, somebody said might want to play the tr- freshman so he doesn't transfer. Wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those five stars transfer. That would add insult to injury. That's from Hunter in Columbus. That's the thing can you got to worry about. Can you imagine about. that? At the end of this season that, like, I don't know how many kids they signed. 25, we'll just say, right? If 11 or, 10, 11 or 12 of the top guys just were like, I'm out. You talk about, yeah, he, insult to injury is the right word. Yeah. Uh, also in the ceasefire Texas line, uh, text line, Texas line, Texas eight and four <laughs> might be a compliment. Texas line right now. Yeah, Adam and Monticello, Texas eight and four might be a compliment after this year is done. If they get to eight and four, Jimbo did a remarkable coaching job for the rest of this season. Yeah, I mean that would be six and six and uh, one the rest of the way, or six yeah. and two the rest of the way with Alabama on the schedule. He did good. I agree with that. So you brought something up a second ago, hey Dad, about transfers. The way we so much was made of name, image, and likeness, and pay for play, and all of those things, as it pertained to Texas A&M's recruiting class. It's almost like there was a little bit of back and forth between Jimbo Fisher, the coach, defending his recruiting practices, and another head coach. I, I seem to remember that from yesterday yeah, 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 and then this that. summer as well. So nil is a huge story in college football. We've kind of set it aside as we've gotten into the season. Ole Miss has actually made some changes. There was a collective, and then there were other collectives. All of those groups have now come together. Uh, You may remember we talked uh, about a collective that Mississippi State had initially. They've kind of regrouped some things. Walker Jones is going to join us in studio coming up next. We'll talk a little bit about what Ole Miss is going through right now, but also... Bigger picture, what's real, what's fake in the NIL world. 
That's coming up next on Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Let's go to the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us on this day, is it Thursday afternoon? I guess that's the point Borky was making. The week has gotten away. Good to be with you. Coming to you, as always, in the uh, the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, the home of the sportsbook at Time Out Lounge. Normally, guests appear on the Farm Bureau guest line, but today we get a treat. Walker Jones joining me in studio. You, uh, you probably recognize that name, former football player. I'm not even going to make a Heinz Ward joke. Please don't. Maybe I will. He's done better than me. Yeah, but... moment there's that one moment it's like you race a guy 50 times and you beat him he beats you 49 out of 50 that's right and you just happen to have the one you just make the uh make the one uh walker's yeah. done a lot of things though in his career he has uh, has worked in coaching he's worked in administration he worked with us at uh, telesouth communications at one point uh, kind of over the sales department uh has worked in the athletic apparel business and in some event management stuff and uh, he is now uh, doing more than just dipping his toe into the NIL world. Uh, I think you've gone headfirst into the deep end. Um, working now with the Grove Collective, so let's start big picture first. Ole Miss, like lots of schools, <clears throat> seems to have tried to kind of figure out the, the NIL space. And I think for everybody, there's been a little bit of a learning curve, and everybody's kind of trying to do it the best they can. This is almost in some ways like kind of a reboot of those efforts, pulling a lot of entities into one. Is, is that a fair way to start? No, it is. I think that's a good way to put it. And, um, you know, again, I was, as I said last Friday, I was very an unlikely candidate. Had a very uh, entry-level knowledge of, of NIL, a very elementary understanding of it. Followed it from afar. Uh, but, um, you know, after having some conversations this summer, you know, it was re- became really clear really fast what needed to happen in the short term to get us on solid ground and to get us caught up with what was happening, not only in the SEC, but across the, la- the collegiate landscape. And that was really, you know, look, uh, a school like Ole Miss has a great fan base, but we may not have the numbers that other people have. So consolidation became kind of the order of the day. Consolidate, duplicate, you know, not duplicating efforts, not confusing our fan base, trying to get everybody really on the same page and become as efficient as we could to be successful. And that was really kind of the first thing that had to happen was the consolidation, which would then lead to more of a sustainable model uh, to, so we could be competitive uh, in our own right. Visiting with Walker Jones, who is uh, now running the Grove Collective, and you grew up in the state of Mississippi, right? You you understand that everything here, there's Ole Miss and there's Mississippi State, and and so while this conversation in a lot of ways is unique to Ole Miss, and your position is unique to Ole Miss, I think a lot of what we're going to talk about kind of applies to Mississippi State as well, and they've got efforts, and and we'll talk with with Charlie Winfield about that and, and some of the things that they're doing, hopefully down the line. As well, but but let's talk big picture NIL first before we kind of drill down on on Ole Miss and the the Grove Collective. 
It feels like Texas A&M, in a lot of ways, is the poster child for all this conversation. There was famously the the, the, the Nick Saban, Jimbo yeah. Fisher stuff. We went back and we played Jimbo Fisher's press conference again yesterday. What's fact and, and what's fiction? When, when people are talking about A&M, for example, spending $30 million on yeah. a signing class, and, and I've talked to people that go, eh, that's, that's not real. Then there are other people who go, yeah, that, that is real. What are... What what is a number that makes an SEC team competitive in the NIL space when you're talking cumulative dollars needed to be able to compete not just at a surface level but a high level right but not have some insane number like thirty million dollars for a single recruiting class yeah Richard I think look that's a question that uh, can't be answered today in terms of what's fact and what's fiction I think. Uh, in my experience and my research over the last couple months leading up to this uh, initiative was, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of urban legend. Uh, nobody really knows for sure because nobody's really sharing that information. You know, um, if I called the other collectives at the other SEC schools, they're going to be cordial, but they're not telling me what they're raising. They're not telling me all what they're doing, uh, just like I wouldn't tell them because everybody's looking for that edge. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my experience is the numbers aren't as great as have been reported. Uh, for the most part, um, as it relates to A&M, you know, uh, you know, whether that $30 million number is accurate or not, I would say there's probably, uh, a lot of variables that, that probably play into that, that, uh, people aren't taking into account. You know, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, how much money they've raised to date or what their goal is. You know, you ask about what's needed. I think that's what we're still trying to figure out, to be honest with you. People ask, like, uh, me, you know, one of the biggest questions I got, well, how much do you need? And how much does Ole Miss need to be competitive? Uh, and we don't really quite know yet because we're still going through that first year of really having some uh, information on what, how these deals are being valued by corporate sponsors, by other brands, uh, what they see the value. Um, and so, uh, there'll be more information that'll come that'll give us a finer point on kind of a range of what we think. I, I kind of have some idea of where we need to be from a range standpoint. You know, I look at more numbers in terms of people, uh, contributing uh, than I do total dollar numbers. Okay. I know this, that uh, you need thousands of members in a crowdfunding model to be successive, uh, successful. And that's people giving you know, $25 a month and people giving $10,000 a year uh, and everything in between. So um, one of the things that we've tried to do is try to clear some of the confusion that's out there in some of the urban legend because um, if you ask people, they tell you, oh, this is exactly what this kid's getting or what this school's raising – a lot of it is hearsay. Some may be baked and loosely in some fact, uh, but really nobody quite knows exactly because we're just not far enough into it yet. We get a message on the ceasefire text line that says it's sad we're even having this conversation about NIL. And that may very well be true. And as a, a guy that played in a non-NIL era, where yeah. the only thing that was out there was rumors of cheating and, you know, some cheating that actually happened, but, sure. but, but rumors of it and it was all kind of dark and under the table. R- regardless of whether or not it's sad, it, it, it's here. It's here. 
Uh, look, I, and, and you either choose to participate or you get left behind. Exactly. And look, I, I, like I said earlier, I was an unlikely candidate because I don't know necessarily if I personally believed in it. I came just like our athletic director, Keith Carter, came up in a time where getting a free education was wonderful and we loved it and never dreamed that there would be a day where this would come along. But we can either sit on, you know, sit there and be judgmental and say, I don't agree with it, or we can try to figure out a better way to do it and a better model. And that's really kind of was my kind of thought was whether I agree with it or not, um, from everything I've seen, it's here to stay. And, you know, uh, I played three of my four years on the second worst probation in NCAA history. Um, I think I was the only guy at Ole Miss they weren't paying. Uh, but, uh, but again, so I've been through, uh, what happens when you do it wrong. And so that's the thing that really kind of enticed me was, look, let's try to figure out how to do it right and make it as developmental as it is compensatory. So yeah, they're going to get compensated, but let's give them tools and let's try to develop it and come up with a better model for this. Cause again, whether we agree with it or not, we have to find a way to compete in this space, to do it, um, above board. Uh, and to try to help develop. Look, if, at the end of the day, if we're creating opportunities for these student athletes, we're enhancing those opportunities, and we're protecting their well-being. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing either. So again, I understand the sentiment out there. Again, personally, I wasn't sure if I agree with it or not either. But I am a realist, and I know that for us to be competitive, uh, we got to figure out a way to make it work. What's the goal of the Grove Collective? Uh, I think uh, I just kind of mentioned it. Really, I think it's. Number one, we want to create opportunities uh, for these athletes that uh, have a story to tell. Financial opportunities. Financial opportunities. Well, financial and developmental opportunities. So, yeah, financial in nature, but also, too, give them the tools that when they come here, whatever that compensation looks like, they have a way to turn it into more. They have a way to grow it, to truly maximize their potential based off what they've created in their name, engine, and likeness. They give them tools and programming and resources to do that. So, really, I think it's... Number one, create them if they don't exist. Number two, enhance them, um, you know, uh, so they can make them better. They can make them more impactful. Uh, they can maximize their potential. But also, too, at the end of the day, protect them. Because look, there are bad actors out there. Um, they're now taxpaying citizens. Uh, they have financial requirements. They have obligation requirements. There is a, a rights and benefit that comes with these deals. So we want to make sure our athletes don't get in trouble. We don't want, we want to make sure they don't jeopardize their eligibility. We want to make sure they're delivering on the, on the, um, uh, the rights that they have given. Um, and so, um, create, enhance, and protect really is what we're trying to do. And, uh, I just, again, me personally, I just think it's got to be just as much developmental as it is uh, compensatory, and I think that's that's as you'll see from the growth. That's kind of what we're trying to accomplish. If you've got questions for Walker about the Grove Collective specifically or about NIL in more in general, uh, you can shoot them to us on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. I've got about a minute until the break, and somebody says, is the Grove Collective specific to football? 30 seconds. Uh, no. It's for, I said it on Friday, one of our goals over the next three months is we will sign a minimum of one athlete from every sport on campus. Okay. Uh, now, will a lot of the dollars, you know, just, you know, go to football? Of course, because football is where a lot of the, uh, uh, value is. But, uh, the Grove Collective is a one-stop shop that will support all athletes, male and female, revenue, non-revenue. Right now, we've got seven sports on campus, uh, represented. We'll have them all by the end of the year. Uh, will football get a lot of attention? Absolutely. Uh, baseball gets a lot of attention because what our guys did out in Omaha last year. So, no, it's not just football. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started. We'll take a quick timeout. More with Walker Jones after this in the Pearl River Resort Studios. 
is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. All right, back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, Supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us. Told you we got a busy afternoon coming up. Ben Ingram, the radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves, who just won the National League East again, is going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports will uh, be along. We'll also talk with Luke Johnson, some Southern Miss football, as they get set for a big road trip to Troy. But right now on the Farm Bureau guest line, we're talking with Walker Jones, who uh, is working with the Grove Collective you know, one of the things, Walker, that is is interesting to me, when NIL was first passed in the state of Mississippi, part of the the legislation was that the schools had to be hands-off. Like, this could happen, yeah. but the schools couldn't be involved. They couldn't direct things. Right. There have been changes to the state law that make it, where are we right now on the involvement that a school can have with a collective and the NIL process. Yeah, it's a great question, Richard, and one we get a lot. And Mississippi, I give a lot of credit to Mississippi for amending the state statute in April of this year to allow for coordination and communication between a university and a third-party collective. And, you know, the big question is, what is coordination and communication? Like, what does that mean? And I think that's probably the biggest gray is what we're figuring out with Keith and the university about how much we can and can't do. Uh, But to your point, that – gave the state of Mississippi for Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Jackson State, Southern Miss, a market a market advantage, uh, a market advantage in the landscape in the sense that, you know, there is coordination, there is some sort of communication. And and again, I think that's a big piece from a risk mitigation standpoint too. You know, when they were trying to create this, you know, wall up, you can't talk to them, they can't talk to you, that actually was counterintuitive to, you know, being compliant. Because now the university has some input and make sure that those collectives are behaving in the right way, uh, reporting in the right way. Like we report all our deals um, with the university, and we have a great relationship with with Keith and the staff um, to make sure that we are, you know, uh, compliant within the state law, uh, within the limited NCA guidance that we have. And so our state law is a huge um, plus and positive for what we're trying to get done. Um, as opposed to other state laws like Alabama and some of the other states, uh, even Texas for that matter, um, which has given us a heads up, uh, a head start against those guys, uh, and a little more guidance than maybe some states that either have a limited statute or have no statute at all. Because if you have no state statute, then you've got to refer to the NCA for guidance, which I think we would all agree is probably not <laughs> not very good, considering they don't have much guidance. Yeah. Um, so. there, there have been different approaches to NIL. We saw... Um, at Miami early on, we saw at BYU early on, where they put deals that uh, put together something where every single athlete yeah. got something. You yeah. know, what, what, whatever that dollar amount was, if it was five hundred or five thousand or fifty thousand. Yep. Is, is that a goal here, or is it all about doing individual deals? Yeah, I personally, I don't love that model. Um, I think that the BYU model has proven to be problematic uh, from a Title IX standpoint. Uh, when you're providing, you know, something or when you're paying for all the expenses for walk-ons, things like that, you run into some other issues. So, uh, again, taking that aside, uh, I think, you know, look, this is a free market and, um, you know, we have had, uh, donors step up and say, Hey, I want every, uh, athlete on this roster 
to you know partake in in the NIL piece. And when a donor says that, obviously, obviously, uh, we're going to accommodate that. But that's not necessarily a goal of us uh, is to uh, put every single athlete on every single roster with the same NIL deal. I just I, th- I don't I don't think that is um, is the best use of our resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think our, we're better off really trying to tailor it to that specific athlete. Uh, their platform, who they are, the story they want to tell, and what their value is. And so uh, I think that, uh, in my mind, is the way it should be in a free market society. Um, and, you know, look, if these athletes do the right thing, they, you know, they, they, um, they take care of their business um, and their name and their image and likeness, there's going to be plenty of opportunities out there. You know, we signed a deal with the city of Oxford or the Oxford Chamber of Commerce uh, to provide opportunities for athletes, no matter what sport they're in, because of the charitable initiatives they may have or community involvement, which is something that every athlete, regardless of sport, regardless of gender, can take place in. So I'd rather go that route than doing a blanket deal for every athlete on campus. Is the goal here to use this money to bring in new players, recruits, transfer portal guys, or is it to keep the ones you've got? And maybe I need to lay that out. I mean, I think you know where I'm going with that, but you have a freshman that was not highly thought of coming in, at least in the NIL space, maybe didn't have a lot of opportunities, that has an incredible season. Yeah. And now they're incredibly marketable. And guess what? There are other programs out there that like, we'll, we'll get you a deal, and, and you can transfer without penalty. Yeah, well, again, we can't take place in any of that piece of the recruiting side of it. So we don't have any conversations with an athlete prior. They have to be, that's another piece of our, you know, statute and our guidance is, you know, we can't engage with them until they are enrolled on campus as a full-time student. Okay. So uh, any conversations prior to that, we're not a party to. And the coaches are really just saying, hey, look, uh, if you should choose to come to Ole Miss, we have a wonderful NIL collective that provides great opportunities. And if you do choose to come here, the moment you step on campus, you'll have the opportunity to engage with them. Um, you know, as far as the retention piece of it, um, you know, look, uh, that'll come up sometimes where, you know, the transfer portal feeds that a little bit. I think that's where the portal kind of plays in here. Uh, whether you like it or don't like it, it's here. It provides a little bit of the free agency model uh, for these athletes to test the market. Uh, how much does NIL play in that? I think that's a little overplayed, Richard. I think that's a part of it. But really, kids want to play. So I think really, you know, they may get in that portal to see – you know, is there a better opportunity for me to play? Is there a better system I should be in? Can I get closer to my family? Uh, then as they narrow that down, maybe NIL comes into a play then. I really don't buy the, um, the, the blanket statement that, you know, kids just go into the portal to test their NIL. Maybe a small group of them. I think that's more the exception than the norm, uh, for the portal, but the portal does provide an opportunity for them to, um, see what the market you know, looks like for them, both from a playing standpoint uh, and probably at some degree to NIL. But we really, you know, our job is really um, to support these athletes that have a story to tell, have value off the field, uh, and that's where we spend most of our time. All right, so I hear what you're saying, story to tell, uh, plugging them in with charitable opportunities. And in a perfect world, I agree that that's how you want it to work. Right. But the way this thing is couched is pay-for-play, right? I mean, this is couched as 
if you want recruits that are high-level guys to come in, you're going to have to pay them. And if they excel on the field, you're going to have to pay them more. That, that, that's just the reality that's out there. How do you balance those two things? Well, I think, again, that's where you know the third party, again, that's another part of the Mississippi State law that was advantageous was the fact that they allowed for these third-party collectives. Which again, I think provides more of an infrastructure um, to be more compliant, more above board, and to provide more opportunities if a athlete does play well and does increase their name, image, and likeness. And so, really, that's what we try to have, try to focus on. Yeah, look, it's not a perfect world, and is there pay for play going on out there? Absolutely. Um, you know, the NCA just came out with some some recent news about how they're, you know, uh, going to start trying to figure out a way to police it more. Uh, there is going to be some regulation in NIL. Now, whether that comes from Congress, whether that comes from the NCA, or whether it comes for they push it to the states and they hold the states accountable uh, through those publicans and uh, through those state institutions, there will be regulation. And so our, you know, kind of our goal, and again, like you said, it's not perfect, but our goal is to build a model that regardless of what regulation does come down and the changes and the evolution of NIL, we are able to compete there. Nobody really quite knows exactly what this is going to look like a year from now. Yeah. And I think that's really the hard thing, Richard. So, and a year ago, didn't know that it would look like this uh, 100%. a year into it. And I, yeah, uh, three months ago, no, I, I had no interest in NIL. And now... You know, things happen quickly. Uh, and again, I think what we're trying to do, I think some of the initial rush into NIL, um, was done, um, you know, quite hastily and probably not in the best form. And I think the market has slowly and the states have slowly tried to bring back some, uh, you know, temper some of that. Um, and again, I think there will be regulation coming in there. Uh, who it comes from, I think it will remain to be seen. We're just about out of time. Tell us, you're obviously involved in the Grove Collective. If there are Ole Miss fans that haven't gotten involved and want to or want to learn more about it, how do they do it? Well, I think uh, you know the, the the easiest way to do it is go to our website, thegrovecollective.com. Uh, you'll see on there we have a, a variety of membership opportunities. We have a tiered membership uh, structure that allows for you to, um, the more money you give, the more benefits you get. And a lot of that is on premium content, access to the athletes, um, you know, those types of things. Um, and uh, really that's probably the, the – the most sustainable model we have is creating a reoccurring revenue model through crowdfunding and through membership and subscriptions. That's probably, uh, that not probably, that is the way we're going to be most competitive. Uh, so I would just uh, challenge everybody to go uh, to the website, look at it. We don't have answers to every question. You know, I said it on Friday, give us a little grace um, because we're not going to do everything perfect in the sense of we don't, have guidance and everything. We're kind of feeling our way in, in the dark in some respects in some of these areas. And, um, but we're going to be very progressive. Um, we're going to try to answer as many questions as we can, uh, given the limited guidance that we have. Uh, but be curious, you know, and, and again, my goal at the end of the day is, and you know, it's not a perfect world, but we want to create a model, uh, um, that is just as much developmental as it is compensatory and, um, is impactful to our student athletes, creates, enhances, and protects them. Walker Jones from the Grove Collective. I'm sure you've got more questions. We all do, but we're out of time right now. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for coming by. You bet, bud. I listen to it at work. At work. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Did you get that memo? Yes, sir. 
back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Walker Jones, uh, appreciate him spending some time with us this afternoon. Uh, Brian Haydad has reached out to Charlie Winfield, who is overseeing a lot of the collective work at Mississippi State. Um, and and we'll, when Charlie's available, if and when he's willing to do that, we'll do the exact same thing with him and, and talk a little bit about what's happening with Mississippi State and also get that kind of big-picture um, uh, overview as well. You know, there's one thing that, that we didn't get into with Walker that, that he and I talked about a little bit that is very much an evolving piece of this. And this isn't specific to Ole Miss. I, I do think it's specific to the state of Mississippi. It may end up being broader. But it sounds like moving forward, somewhere down the line, there will be opportunities for people who are buying season tickets and they have to make donations that go along with those season tickets to a university's athletics foundation. Right? I mean, right now you buy Mississippi State tickets, you buy Ole Miss tickets. If you sit on the 50-yard line, there is a per-seat donation that goes on top of the cost of the ticket. Let's just use round numbers, right? Let's say it's a $200 ticket and there's a $500 donation per seat. So so if you spend $800 on tickets, you got another $2,000 that allows you that gives you the right to buy those tickets. There may be a scenario in the future where you will have the ability to direct where some of that donation goes, at least a portion of it. And so you might be able to specify that 25% of that $2,000 goes to the Grove Collective or to the Bulldog Collective or whatever it is. So I guess what I'm getting at is, and I don't know exactly what it's going to look like or exactly how it will play out, but university foundations whose job is to raise money for the athletics department directing some of their raised funds into a collective effort, which is... That feels to me like a pretty significant step in this whole NIL landscape. Doesn't that feel like a big deal to you guys? Yeah, it makes it just easier. I mean, I know people don't like it. I've heard that my neighbor, the state fan, absolutely hates this and doesn't want to contribute. And I said, well, you've got to understand, that means you in this landscape, don't want your team to be successful at the highest level. If you're going to resist this, you're going to lose. There's no not being involved in this and winning. That's a literal statement, by the way. Yes. You're going to lose. Yep. Yeah. You're going to lose recruits. I mean, you'll have great seats to watch your 4-8 and eight football team. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's simple that, that simple. I did get a kick. I did get a kick out of Walker Jones saying we have a story to tell. I was like, y'all really want to go down that road again? That guy's got a different story he's got to tell. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a whopper. Yeah. Um, well, I think we all know it was a different type story, but yes, I agree. The chuckles are, uh, are, are worthwhile. Um, I'm still waiting to hear that side, by the way. <laughs> Let's just not at this point. <laughs> that day will come. One I would day. love to hear it. I would pay to hear it. I think at this point. Yeah. Uh, what you can be part was. of the conversation. 
On the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Dale from the Delta or Pat or whatever whatever we're going by here, wake us up when we get back to football talk. Yeah, I understand that in the middle of the season, uh, but... You can keep sleeping then. we got a baseball interview coming <laughs> Well, but that is also, I mean, it is football talk. That's the real football talk there. It's the future of programs in terms of recruiting and maintaining. Like, I wasn't going to bring up a, an individual name when we were talking about Walker. I, I think there's some limited things that he can say. But think about this guy, right? Hey, Dan, who of you says the second best running back in the SEC? Or maybe the best? Second. On multiple occasions. This year. Yeah. Yeah. It's Quinshawn Judkins. Three-star kid out of the state of Alabama. Guess what? Not a whole lot of NIL and marketing stuff when he came in. He's got six touchdowns and almost 600 yards rushing through the first five games of his college career, and the kid can play. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Do you ever get so excited that you just can't wait? Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi team. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thank you for being with us on this Thursday in the Pearl River Resort Studios, Pearl River Resort, the home of the sportsbook at Time Out Lounge. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, I did warn you right out of the gate. Busy Thursday afternoon. Let's go back to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau, one of our absolute favorites. Ben Ingram, radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves, joins us right now. The regular season has ended. There are games that will begin tomorrow for wild card rounds, but the Atlanta Braves will sit and they will wait until Tuesday to begin, uh, I, I guess you say, defense of their world championship. I, I, I tend to fall on the side of they are the reigning champions. They're not defending anything. I don't know. It's just semantics. Ben, congratulations. Back to the playoffs after a 101-win regular season. Uh-oh. We don't have Ben Borky? You Thought offended we him somehow. Maybe, maybe I did offend him. He had a great line. We are the defending champions, whether you like it or not, Cross. Let's try it one more time. Ben Ingram, are you there? I got you. I got you now. I can hear you. Good, man. 101 wins in the regular season. Get to sit and wait until Monday to find out who the opponent is. Nice to get a couple of days off. Congratulations, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. And the, and the days off thing is a real thing, man. I was chatting with some of our players uh, just yesterday and talking to them about the five days off, and they said it's just enormous, especially for the relievers, how big this uh, rest time is for them. That will really give them a, a good crack at it come the postseason. So last weekend was kind of a thing, right? I mean, the the Mets coming in, it's been neck and neck all season long. For basically the entire year, the Mets led the division right up until the end when they didn't. Walk us through just the drama and the the energy that was in the ballpark last weekend. 
Looking back on it all, I mean, the entire weekend was pretty legendary, to be quite honest. I don't want to be a, a victim of the moment and, you know, just go too hard on, on the recent history. But looking back on it all, to me, it, it's the most important regular season series I've seen in a very long time. Uh, it felt like the postseason. I mean, when we went into that series, I, I was telling Joe on the air, I said, I feel like the, the season has ended and this is round one of the postseason. That's what it felt like. And you had really good pitching matchups. We threw our best three. They threw their best three. And I've been going into it. I was pretty realistic. I mean, I'm usually pretty uh, – I'm, I'm always optimistic, but at the same time I'm, I'm very realistic. And I was thinking if you can get two out of three, then maybe you get lucky this week and they slip up versus the Nationals, the Braves to sweep the, the Marlins, and maybe you find a way to win this thing. I didn't think that a sweep would happen, and I was talking with Joe about that, and he said, I don't think there's going to be a sweep either. Their pitching is too good. In order for that to happen, they're going to have to play the best ball we've ever seen, uh, for, for the, well, at least for the course of the season. And when they come out and win game one, I, I felt like that was the, the, the one that swung the Braves, uh, the momentum in the Braves' favor, beating uh, their starter in game one, beating Jacob DeGround and doing what they were able to do and overcoming 11 strikeouts and the bullpen locking it down the way that they did. That gave you a shot for, for game two where if you can have some success versus Max Scherzer, then you put some doubt in their minds for game three, and they do that. Um, Braves hit more home runs. This is a team that has to hit home runs to win the game, and they were able to overcome deficits in both of those first two games. And then they hand the ball to Chris Bassett for game three, and you're down in that ball game, and you come back the way that you did. Uh, I thought it was incredible. And seeing what that team was able to accomplish, I felt like it was the most significant regular season um, series win and sweep that I've seen in a very, very long time. And I think it's given people around here a lot of hope that this team could do what they did last season. So what was the line? If you come at the Kings? You better not miss. And <laughs> that um, – I don't know. Sometimes things just pop in your head and come about the eighth inning. I've, I've always liked that line, and it it jumped into my head. And um, total transparency, I Googled it to make sure that I had the line right, and I thought if they get three more out to the ninth inning, I'm going to drop that one. And um, they did, so I said it, and the fan base loved it. So I was glad that I had something ready that could fit the moment. Yeah, I mean, if, if if social media is any indication, people absolutely ate that one up. And, uh, you know, Ben, it's been a storybook for you, or at least outside looking in. I mean, you, you, you work as the pregame and postgame host, and then you're a little bit of a fill-in, and finally, and incredibly deservedly so, that chair becomes yours, and... You get to call a World Series title a year ago, and now you get this postseason run again. I, kind of following you on Instagram, it feels like you have completely embraced it and are so incredibly comfortable in this job. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's very accurate. I mean, it's the job that I always wanted. It's it's the role that I always wanted. Um, you know, I have lots of friends in this industry, and we all have very different goals. And my goal was simply to be the lead guy for a major league team. I didn't really care which one. I mean, it worked out even better that it's the one that's six hours from, from home, and I can easily get back home and see family and friends, and they can come over here and see baseball games. But that's what I wanted. And um, I, I love uh, I love the travel. I love the, the game at the major league level. I love the players. Um, there, there's a, every single aspect of what we do I absolutely love. Spring training all the way through the postseason. And um, 
I just don't think that there's anything else that I could be near as content with as I am doing this. I truly feel like it's what I was, was born to do. And I knew that when I came to Atlanta, I would have an opportunity to call games. And some of the, the advice that my dad gave me before I left, he said, be so good that they can't ignore you. And I never forgot my dad saying that. And that's kind of been um, what has guided my ship and my career. And, you know, when I came here, there wasn't, a job available and there, there still wasn't um i was just doing the best that i could with the opportunities that i got and i just knew that every time that they gave me an opportunity to call play by play to me it was a competition not just with um myself but i wanted to be the best of every broadcaster calling a game that night i wanted to be better than any other of the options that the team had that was my goal and that might sound kind of haughty but that's what got me going and that's really what motivated me and I'm always looking to, to do better the next game and to, to be more and more creative and to really try to push myself when it comes to creativity and, and how I broadcast a game and not falling into the same slumps of saying the same thing over and over again. I want everything to be different. And um, I hope I never stop pushing myself like that. And to me, it was about getting that opportunity and taking it. And that's all I wanted to do was just take it and, and hold on to it and do this as long as I could. And um, so far, that's been how it's played out here. Ben, there are people that say that baseball's got a problem, that, that people kind of tune out for the regular season other than just for their team, but then they kind of lock in for the postseason. And and maybe that's a problem or maybe that's just reality. I, I don't know, and, and we don't have to debate that one way or the other. All I know is this. When I look at and just National League specific, the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Braves – I feel like we're setting up for a really, really entertaining October, and all of those teams could make a run. Yeah, they absolutely could. Um, I, I look at the entire National League playoff picture, and you could say this probably every year, that every team is dangerous for one reason or another, but I think this year specifically you could really point out key points uh, for, for all the teams that are in the playoff picture of how they could be successful and what would make them dangerous. Uh, I mean, you could start with the Phillies and the Aces that they have. You could go to the Cardinals and talk about the motivation that they're going to have for three legends who are making their last mm-hmm. run together. Uh, I think you could go to the Padres and say that's a team that's been overshadowed uh, by the Dodgers, and they're looking to make a run, and they got some good pitching of their own. The Mets are a 100-win team. The Dodgers won 110 games, best season they've ever had in the regular season. And the Braves are the defending champions. Um, and, and that's just kind of skimming the surface for all the teams in the playoff picture of the National League. I, I think it's going to be absolutely incredible. And it would be easy for every team to look at their draw and say, man, this draw is tough. But it's tough for everybody. I mean, it, it's never easy to beat the Cardinals in the postseason, if that's who, indeed who the Braves get. And the Dodgers are going to get a, either a, a red-hot Mets team or a Padres team that just won't go away. Um, so I think it, it's really fantastic, this feel that we have. And that's just one side of it. That's not even touched the American League. So uh, some really, really good teams. And I think all of these teams not only expect to get to the World Series, but they expect to win it as well. Ben, are the Braves the favorites in the National League, or is it the Dodgers via those 110 wins? And if the Braves are not the favorite, should they be? That's a great question. I think if you were to ask everybody on a national level who covers Major League Baseball, they'd probably lean towards the Dodgers. However, there's a sentiment going around uh, with, with other people who work in the game, other broadcasters, people that I've spoken with, and I think this is an interesting point in how the Dodgers haven't played a meaningful game in a while. I don't want to take away from the fact that they won 110 games. Hey, we got 30 seconds left, by the way. 
Yes, yeah, sorry. I just think that the, that the Braves are a team that uh, definitely has the ability to get back there, and I think those are the two teams that expect to be there. Well, it certainly produced an incredible series a year ago in the uh, in the NLCS, and would love to see that again. You are always kind with your time. Have a great postseason. Look forward to catching up with you soon, Ben. You got it, man. Thank you. Ben Ingram joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Hate I had to cut him short there at the end. So good always to visit with Ben who is just doing a phenomenal job as the play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves. We'll be back right after this. What we're going to do right here is go back. Now back to back to the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. So let's get rolling. On Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. For those of you that wanted us to get back to football, well, here we go. Lee Sterling joins us from Paramount Sports, ParamountSports.com on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Lee, always good to visit. Let's jump right in. Mississippi State started this week as a six-and-a-half-point favorite over the Arkansas Razorbacks. That number has climbed to nine and a half. It seems to have kind of settled there. It appears as if, based on that movement, that K.J. Jefferson will not be playing. What do you think? Mississippi State coming off a dominating performance against A&M last week. You're getting pretty good at reading these lines now. Thanks, <laughs> You're bud. pretty sharp. Um, another game where there's a lot of injuries going on and people are like, oh, well, uh, what's going on? Well, New Orleans went from three and a half to six because, trust me, Jameis Winston, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, and offensive tackle Adris Pete, three of those four guys, trust me, will end up playing. That's why the line's shooting up there also. So I think it's a little bit of a, an overreaction. This is to take nothing away from K.J. Jefferson. I mean, he is really good, and whatever they have left, they're going to throw at Mississippi State. It is good, but... Uh, this defense, even though they did not play well, especially the run defense, those three long touchdown runs they gave up, they're built to play this type of offense with a four, three, two, four, uh, six defense. So um, they're going to force opponents to be patient. I think we're going to see more of a low-scoring game. The Arkansas defense knows they have to show up here. Uh, stay in this game. But that game last week against Mississippi State and A&M, that's a close game. And there were three or four plays that turned that game into a route. So I, I think Mississippi State's going to win the game 27-21, to 21, but uh, I think the right side is to take the 9.5 here. Okay. Uh, big yep. number, and yep. you're willing to take the points. So I guess for the last two weeks, against Tulsa and against Kentucky, I, I think in both cases you said Ole Miss wins – but in yep. both cases, you thought the number was too big. Yep. Uh, this weekend, Ole Miss goes to Vanderbilt. The line has come down a little bit. It's at 17. I think it was at 18 and a half at one point earlier. Maybe just 18 earlier in the no, week. No, 18 and a half. You're right. Okay. So are we in that same scenario where it's just too many points for this Ole Miss offense? So I don't get this line. I'm pretty good at predicting lines on – Sunday at about 4.30 your time, I will sit there and I'll go down in about 35, 40 minutes and I'll project what I think the line should be and what the line 
uh, I think they'll put it out as. And I think that the line should be 21, 21 and a half. And I want to congratulate Vanderbilt. They they went over the two and a half season win total. I don't I don't think I've ever won one this this early in the season, but they're improved. But they still give up way too many yards to decent opponents. I'm watching this Ole Miss game last week, and I'm impressed with Lane Kiffin. I mean, Jackson Dart is the right guy. He is settling down, running and throwing the football. I think he's their leader. I think he he has the most upside. Never thought I'd see a Lane Kiffin team with a 65-35 run pass split, but he's doing that, and he's even smarter by slowing down the pace this year. So um, this running game is legit, number five in the country. Um, They did it on a really good Kentucky defense, and just playing Vandy because they're a home underdog with a bye isn't enough for me. They're 4-16 as a home underdog. Uh, The student section, they'll be gone by halftime. I like Ole Miss. 42-17. 42-17. Okay. Well, so uh, yep. kind of reversing the trend with what you've done uh, right. for Ole Miss over the last couple of weeks, but because of opponent, not so much because of, uh, well, I mean, I guess it's both sides. Uh, yeah. We are yeah. in the month of October, and October is a big month for you. I, I think yep. Locktober is how you like to refer to yeah. it. Yeah. It, I mean, we've had some good Septembers, but this might have been one of the best ever. We went 9-3 and three last week for our clients. The week before that, 9-2, and 8-3, uh, and 6-3. And and We're 32-12 and 12 on our client plays this month. Anyone wants to get involved, they can get from now through October 31st, just 297. Put in coupon code SAVE100, just $297 for four weeks. Every game that I've got... 10 to 14 games a week, and we rate them from 10 to 50 units, and it looks like we're going to have the ACC game of the year and also the Big Ten game of the year going this week. Very rare we have two big plays like that, so just one place. And also check out the free videos, a bunch of other big games going on around the country like TCU Kansas, uh, the uh, Utah game against UCLA, a bunch of big pro games, ParamountSports.com. Tennessee and LSU. They're kicking it at 11 a.m. in Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. I feel like by almost every metric available, offensively, Tennessee's better. Defensively, LSU's probably better by just about every metric. We got Tennessee as a, what, three-and-a-half-point favorite? Yeah, but I think that the Tennessee offense is light years ahead better than LSU in offense. And I don't, I think the defense might be closer than you think. So I think also the bye week, time for Tennessee to game plan and prepare mentally and physically for the LSU and Alabama game the next two weeks is important, gives them a little bit of an edge. Hey, I'm going to give LSU credit. Somehow they come back from double digits against both Mississippi State and Auburn, but the facts remain. This is not a very good team. They are an absolutely flawed offense. Jaden Daniels, when you see a team come back from double digits when the quarterback's 8 for 20 for 80 yards, you just can't, trust me on this, keep winning with a quarterback who's your leading rusher and uh, obviously top passer. So Tennessee's quarterback, Hannon Hooker, he's averaging, get this, averaging 365-yard passing a game. And if you think... They're just a passing team. Not the case. They're balanced. They have the 31st-ranked running game. So, uh, yeah, Tennessee's defense isn't great. Uh, the run game is, 
They're a little better versus the run, allowing 2.9 yards per carry. They are 128th out of 131st against the pass. But mm-hmm. that's mainly because teams are always playing from behind here. I think Tennessee is going to win and cover 45-31. 45-31, so not particularly close in a, uh, a three-point no. line there. I'll be interested to see how could be, could be a touchdown. It could be touchdown going into the last seven, eight minutes of the game. Uh, there is a game with a couple of head coaches that made some headlines during the offseason. CBS, Saturday night, 7 o'clock, yep. A&M, Alabama. Uh, Max Johnson reportedly out for the rest of the year with a broken wrist, broken hand, arm, whatever it is. Uh, Bama by 24. Alabama can name its score, can't they? Well, <laughs> not so fast. Bryce Young, Here if he go. plays. Yep. Um, probably only about 75 to 80%. So I've played with an injury like that. And trust me, <laughs> doesn't feel too good to throw the football. So if you make a line just based on talent, I think the line should be 16 to 17 points. Alabama's obviously playing with revenge. But is that enough to lay 24 points where a quarterback's not 100%? Uh, Bama scored three long touchdowns against Arkansas. And trust me, A&M's defense is much better than Arkansas. They got like eight or nine defensive linemen that they're going to rotate in and out. Their defensive coordinator, D.J. Durkin, from coaching at Ole Miss, knows the concepts uh, here. But he's just got better athletes than he's had when he was competing at Ole Miss. So... I think they're going to have a pretty darn good game plan. Jimbo Fisher uh, will have some trips, tricks here up his sleeve. And remember going into the game last year, A&M faced the same two teams as they did this year before that game. And they only scored in those games 10 and 22 points before scoring 41 points. Now, I know the game was at home. But trust me, Jimbo's going to be ready. And if you just play this game based on blind revenge, I think you're making a mistake. I'm going to go with A&M here. I think Alabama wins 34-20, but A&M covers. you got to tell me what you've seen from A&M that makes you think they're scoring 20 points against that defense, though. Like, like I hear everything you're saying, but how are they scoring? I, 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 I'm, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Wegman ends up playing in this game. Okay. I, I talked to some people, and it's tough to tell from a spring game. That's the only time I've seen him in high school tapes. They said he is by far the most talented. So, you know, yeah, it's funny. We were maybe... talking about that earlier today. If I'm A&M, Haynes King's got to take his lumps in this one, and then I'm going open date and starting Wegman against against South Carolina. That's, that's probably what's going to happen. But don't be surprised if it goes terrible. Or Jimbo, I mean, Jimbo, everyone's going down on Jimbo, and I understand it. He has not done a good job this year calling plays and, and managing the whole quarterback situation. But don't be sh- shocked if he maybe works him in a little bit here. And, right. and they don't, they, Trust me, they're not g- game planning for Wegman at all. 30 seconds, game yep. of the week. How do people get it? Game of the week this week is going to be Kentucky and South Carolina. Game's gone under the radar. First 10 people to call 800-400. 9741, get it for free. We're ready to go. I'm ready for a huge weekend. Just one place, ParamountSports.com. Thanks, Lee. Okay, thanks so much. Lee Sterling joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be back. 
Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. <laughs> On Super Talk Mississippi. gave us a little something to think about. Mm. He had Mississippi State winning, but not covering against Arkansas. He had Ole Miss covering comfortably against Vanderbilt. He had Tennessee kind of boat racing LSU. And he thinks A&M scoring 20 and keeping it well within that 24-point line against Alabama. I kind of agree with him on two and pretty strongly disagree on the other two. Did did he say that Arkansas's defense is is built to to slow down Mississippi State? He did. I thought that the, was the, the worst pass defense in the SEC. I have a feeling he was trying to say the scheme is designed. I think it's what, I, I think it's what he's trying to say because he did mention that they do run a three-two-six, which is designed to stop this kind of an yeah. offense. I, I think that's what he was going for. It's more of a deterrent than a defense at this point. <laughs> It doesn't appear to be deterring all that much either. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not defending anything either. So that one, that one was rough enough. But then to throw twenty points on the board against Alabama, no. Yeah, I love Lee, but no. Well, and, and I do too. And it's like we're not going to agree on everything, right? He he has a reason for the way that he picks games that he does. It's what he does professionally. I, I understand that we are amateurs at best in terms of handicapping. I just, if you want to convince me that Alabama doesn't cover the 24, I can be convinced. But I don't think you're convincing me that A&M is scoring 20 on that defense. Yeah, you, you, you convince me, you're going to have to convince me that Alabama wins like 28 to 7. Or 31 to 10. Something like that, yeah. And, and, I, and if you tell me that you know Alabama, Bryce Young is not completely healthy, and Alabama is more one-dimensional than they have been because they don't have the same level of elite talent at wide receiver, and there is talent on the Texas A&M defense, and therefore it's only going to be thirty-one point. No, okay, I might come along with that. But the problem with that theory is that one dimension is the running game. A&M is terrible against the run. Mississippi State, an air raid team, just rushed for 146 yards against them. If Bryce Young can't play and Milrow plays, it means Alabama's better at running the football now. Texas A&M has scored more than 20 points in three of their five games. They had 31 against Sam Houston State. They had 23 against Arkansas, and they had 24 last week in a loss to Mississippi State. And in that 23 is a, is a defensive touchdown. Oh, you're right, against Arkansas. 
Yeah. yeah. I, I know that they did beat Alabama last year, right? That game did happen. It happened. We all watched it. It happened. There's that cool video of the kicker's, uh, I believe, fiancé at the time, jumping over the fence. Oh, that's great. I had the, I watched the first half, in fairness. I didn't watch the second half. But that is an outlier. That is a Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M outlier. And you know, sometimes people just have great days. Unfathomable days. Rocco Mediate took Tiger Woods to a playoff in the U.S. Open. Some guys just have that day. But is Rocco Mediate a guy that's capable of winning the U.S. Open regularly? Mm-mm. He just had that one really good weekend. Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, anyway, had that one really good day. And that's all it's been. A one really an good day. There's saying about, about the sun and a dog. You know? It happens every now and then. Mm. The sun shines on a dog's yeah. rear end. Rear end. From time to time. Every dog has its day. That's not how I would say it normally, but we'll say it here on the show that way. Yes. Maybe when you were picking games this week for the Pulp's Pick 6 Challenge, the sun will shine on your rear end this week. And what will you win as a result of that? Sausage! Sizzling sausage! Ooh, it's sizzling hot. Supertalk.fm slash Polks. There are six games up for your perusal and your picking. Supertalk.fm slash Polks. It will redirect you. It's really, really simple. How quickly can you do this? Well, I'll just do it while we're talking. There's one... There's another, there's another, there's another, another, and okay. I picked all six games. Now all I have left to do is put in my tiebreaker, which is the total number of points in Tennessee LSU, my name, my cell phone, my email address. I hit done, and boom, I'm done. That's all you got to do. Supertalk.fm slash Polks, the winner. By the way, last week, 365 entries. I think we had 35 that went 6-0. and We went to the tiebreaker, and we had one person that was within three points of the exact number of points scored in the Ole Miss-Kentucky game. He was the winner and should be either today or tomorrow receiving his six-pack of Polk's Meat products shipped directly to his home. You can do the exact same thing by entering to win at supertalk.fm slash polls. Are you guys entering every week? I mean, we're not eligible to win, but still. No, because I'm not eligible yeah. to win. Okay. I, did the I don't first do things weeks, that to... don't, you know. Yeah. For that. I got you. No. First couple I'm, I'm weeks, I participated. Competition, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, I've, I've missed several weeks. I'm going to be out Let's tomorrow. You, you guys are going to be without me again tomorrow. I know that oh, makes you happy. Darn. That was not as well played as Sean McDonough Borky. Yeah, true. I need to work on that. Well, that's why he makes the big bucks. Drop that voice about three octaves. <laughs> oh, what a shame. Yeah, that's he, pretty good. You got to sound as disinterested as you can get. Yes. <laughs> 
we need to have that clip just like at the ready. Yeah. Just like something comes out and you hear, oh, what a, what a shame. shame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so it Next sounds time like Jimbo does something dumb. Uh, um, speaking of quarterbacks and games this weekend and stuff like that, KJ Jefferson did travel or will travel apparently. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Does that Not mean he will play? I mean, you know, we played the audio yesterday, and Pittman seemed to indicate that you know we think he's going to, but they practice in the afternoons. He's going to travel, so you can only bring seventy guys, right? So they're using a roster spot, a travel spot, on K.J. Jefferson. So they either expect him to play or he has given them signs that he can try. No. They steal your starting quarterback. You'll take one of those spots. Yeah. I mean, you you got some guy that's like a backup special teams player that he's not going to get into the game anyway, and so, sure, you're you're fine. Whether he's playing or not, I'm traveling K.J. Jefferson. If I'm Arkansas. Just have him there. Can you not dress him but still travel him in your party? Like have him not in uniform on sideline? When I feel do, like you can. When do you have to indicate that he is just traveling with the team as opposed to being on the travel roster? I feel like you've got to declare um, at some point, don't you? Yeah, probably when you don't I'm pack not, his helmet. They, Injured players travel with the team. From I mean, you, you've seen guys on crutches on the sidelines and stuff. They just get to travel with the team, but they're not on the the the, the travel roster. Which, by the way, why do they still do that? Why? It's not like cost in the but, SEC is a prohibitive anymore. Why? Why are you letting the home uh, team just because the game's being played in their stadium have fifteen extra guys on the field? I don't know the answer to that, question. Michael Borky. Hunter in Columbus says he could be going for leadership and uh, stuff. No, I agree with that. that that's yeah, kind of I mean, the point I was makes making. Sense. Second you, know, you want to have him on the sidelines. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Re- regardless of whether or not he is playing, he is traveling on my team if I'm in charge of that decision. Your starting quarterback should always be with you. Yeah. I mean, unless it's like a debilitating knee injury and, you know, right. the weather's going to stink and he's still or kind of in the morning disease. phase. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If yeah. you're worried about contagion, then yes, I, I suppose we just we just went through all that a few about a couple years ago. So you know. Yeah. Indianapolis and Denver tonight, streaming on Prime Video. I streamed something on Prime Video last night. Lord of the Rings. Nope. Huh? Top Gun. Probably Mac. not. No. Yeah. Wait, you finally watched it? I finally watched it. Would have been better in theater. Perhaps. But I got to watch it with my wife and two of my three kids, and we had a good time, and it was pretty good where I watched it, too. Man, what a great movie. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888-808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. We're back, 
Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you in part by Visit Oxford. You can find them online at visitoxfordms.com. Be sure to follow along on all of their social media channels as well. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. That's at Visit Oxford MS. Be sure to check out the events page that gives you a calendar of all that's happening in and around Oxford. A little slower weekend with football on the road against Vanderbilt, but things will pick back up next weekend for an 11 o'clock kickoff for uh, Ole Miss and Auburn on Saturday, the 15th of October. And there is a ton of stuff happening in and around Oxford next weekend leading up to that game. You can find out all about it online at visitoxfordms.com. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, and Michael Borky. We'll be here in Oxford uh, next Friday. We will for the Banking and Finance Symposium. That's right. Yeah. Mergers and acquisitions and value the dollar. I like talking to people I know are smarter than me. So we we get to do that in spades when we go to that event. Oh, so you really enjoy your job. (laughs) Forky, maybe we can... Maybe we can answer next week, next Friday, the question that we got three times in the first hour of the show. Does the government get paid market price for the oil released from the Strategic Reserve? We don't know. Write that down. We're asking somebody. We we don't know. Hey, Dad told me he'd give me 20 bucks if I would reply and say all that money goes to Joe Biden. I had it typed out and everything, and I added Hunter in there, but... I, <laughs> I, said, I said he had to pass a he, he passed an executive order that all that money goes to him. And, and Borky was like, "Can I tell him I'm kidding?" After a few minutes, I was like, "No." Yeah. He's like, "Never mind." Yeah, I backed yeah. out. I shouldn't have. But I mean, t- I have learned that some of these people on the text line are uh, complainers to whether it be other hosts on this network or other people that work here. So I've got to be careful with how I reply sometimes. Oh, they complain about us having fun at their expense? A- apparently so. I'm going to have more fun now. Mm-hmm. You tell Gallo and Gerard, evidently, by the way, Gallo thinks I'm a handsome guy. I don't know if y'all heard about this or not. He was going on about my animal magnetism the other day on his uh, his show, which I would like to point out once again, the best political pundit in the Southeast. I've said it many times. Uh it's talking about how good looking I am. So, but I'm not afraid of him or Gerard. Oh, they don't so care. I'll, I'll, it's just the people your, complain yeah. to them. Animal magnetism. It's it's called kavorka. Mm. I don't know. You know, maybe it's time. He to... said I was a ladies' man. I don't. I don't know. I don't know where this is coming from. Maybe we got to sit down and have a talk with Paul. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, are you okay? (laughs) Was there some confusion that uh, that I was actually hosting Thunder and Lightning on the radio last night? Absolutely not. Oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) Brandon got me so borky. I had Brandon Walker on. And I'm like, I give him this great introduction. And, of course, in typical Brandon Walker fashion, Richard, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it so much. (laughs) It's like, and we're off. (laughs) That's, That's pretty good. Yeah, we had. He he got a good shot in on on the on the other side of that though, because I asked him about the Iowa thing, and I said, "Are, are you nervous about you know the the Ole Miss fans down at LSU?" He's like, "What are they going to do? Throw bow ties at me?" And I just thought that was funny. Yeah, but the see, Richard's not laughing too. at that one. Well, it's, it's, he's not it's, laughing at that one. 
like I don't like the bow tie shtick. Nobody actually wears bow ties. Okay, well, that's not true. I mean, some people do, but most people don't. I'm just <laughs> nobody, nobody has gone from nobody to some people. Next thing you I know, mean, it's like it's only half the crowd. Like the population of bow tie wearers doubles when game day comes to town because they think that's, that's the, the point. Thing. That's the well, it goes make. from like six yeah. to twelve. Yeah. Ah. Now the only people you, you guys see aren't in walking that through the same and, grove that I have. The only people you see in coats and ties are pledges. Yeah, doesn't really happen much anymore. So Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt playing its second consecutive top ten opponent, most recently Alabama. That did not go particularly well for them. Interestingly enough, Vanderbilt is facing back-to-back top ten opponents for the first time since 1995, which surprises me a bit. Number three, Florida, and number five, Tennessee, in the final two games of the regular season almost 20 years ago. So it's been a while. Um. When you look at this Vanderbilt team, A.J. Swan, their freshman quarterback, is now the starter, and he was named the SEC Freshman of the Week for his performance against Northern Illinois. One thing Vanderbilt has done well is score in the red zone when they get there. 17 trips into the red zone, 15 touchdowns, and they've come away with points all 17 times they have gotten inside the 20-yard line. We'll look more at the uh, matchup between Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. We've got the college football fix to start the 5 o'clock hour coming up next. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV, and, of course, on your Supertalk stations in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Beyond the headlines on Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Weekdays 10 to 1 here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams with live reports from the games and practices, plus exclusive interviews with coaches, players, and legends from the past. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. This Thursday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. You can find them online at genteelapparel.com. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. They've got great-looking golf shirts, pullovers as it gets a little bit colder, you got the outerwear that's going on. I told you earlier in the week. So they've got these uh, slightly heavier weight pullovers than they uh, have had in the past. In the past, it's been kind of the uh, the lightweight performance weight 
material pullovers, kind of like you know, performance type golf shirt. Well, they, now they've got uh, a, a golf pullover that's uh, it's a little bit heavier, and they are fantastic. They look great. Got them in a variety of colors, and of course, you can check out the collegiate collection. Whether you want Ole Miss gear or Mississippi State gear, Alabama, Auburn, Missouri, Texas A&M, Memphis, Southern Miss, Louisiana, they've got it all with the uh, the prints and the solids and the stripes. It's great-looking stuff. You can get it online at genteelapparel.com, or you can, uh, can visit one of uh, the men's specialty stores that you find throughout the state of Mississippi and the South. To, uh, to get your genteel apparel gear, like at Harry Meyer Clothing in Meridian, S.F. Aldman in Gulfport, uh, Smith & Company in Greenwood, Oxbow in Memphis, The Well-Dressed Man in Brookhaven, or Shirley Dogs in Corinth. That's genteelapparel.com. We're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios, Pearl River Resort, the home of the sports book at Time Out Lounge. Visit them online at pearlriverresort.com. Time right now for the College Football Fix. Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. 45 straight years as the number one selling truck in America. That is F-Series Test Drive 1 at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Injuries at the quarterback position are kind of the story of the weekend in the SEC. K.J. Jefferson, questionable, though as Michael Borky pointed out earlier, expected to travel for Arkansas this weekend. Max Johnson, reportedly out at Texas A&M, likely for the remainder of the season with a broken hand. Happened again in the game last week against Mississippi State. Will Levis last week against Ole Miss dislocated a middle finger on his non-throwing hand, but there is, according to Matt Jones at Kentucky Sports Radio, a pretty strong likelihood that he is going to be out for this ball game, although it's not the dislocated finger, it is another undisclosed injury. Now, for his part, Mark Stoops was asked about it by media, and he kind of laughed, and he's like, I mean, what what do you guys, you, you want me to tell you every single detail, like the, the entire plan? You, you're just going to call South Carolina directly? Said all this with a smile on his face, and then he got a little more serious. He said, guys, I have a policy. If a player is out, I will tell you. I've got nobody out. <laughs> that was Mark Stoops. Now, does that mean Will Levis is going to play? Does it mean Will Levis is not going to play? I don't think it means either of those things. But I do think that on Thursday afternoon, it means that Kentucky has not ruled out the possibility of Will Levis playing in this game. And I think Mark Stoops is a pretty straight shooter. He, he's not one of those guys that's just going to look at you square in the eye and lie to you just for the sake of lying to you. Is there perhaps a little deception there? Yeah, maybe. Not many coaches are just going to flat out tell you if it's borderline, yeah, we really don't think he's going to play. So who knows? Will Levis, tough kid. Maybe a game-time decision. Clearly they need him. But we'll see. Yeah. 
They uh, they have a similar test to you mentioned the Ole Miss game a second ago, and because of the opponent, we haven't really talked about the game much, and maybe that's a mistake on our part. But Vanderbilt just doesn't get people juiced up the way Arkansas, Texas A and M, LSU, all that stuff goes. But I said it yesterday about Kentucky. I think the same applies to Ole Miss this weekend. The the word that came into my mind because you know I love labels is this is a maturity game. For Ole Miss, I think you're going to learn about how mature your team is. If they come off of this emotional win where they get a big play and a strip sack and the game's over and a sold-out crowd and everything was pointing to that game, if they are able to come down off of that and turn around and play well and control a game the way they should in a sleepy environment where... The stadium's not going to be full, and half the people in it are going to be wearing red. So a sleepy environment, not an exciting team. You come back home next weekend to play a West opponent, all that stuff. If they get up for this game and play well and control it the way they should, I think that will speak to the maturity of your football team and and the leadership. Not coaches, I'm talking about players. We know what Ole Miss football is in Erlene Kiffin. The, The record speaks for itself. But for this team in particular... If they do that, if they go to Nashville and play well and beat up on somebody the way they're supposed to, that will speak a lot to the word I keep using, the maturity of this football team. Okay. I think I agree with that. Maturity Saturday, though, doesn't... No, that doesn't ring. (laughs) It's too... It's just too, you know... Too straightforward. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right on all those points. You got whether you're talking about Ole Miss against Vanderbilt. I, I I don't think it's. Or you may disagree with me here. I don't think you can lump Vanderbilt and South Carolina in the exact same boat. I, the only reason why I may disagree is because I think Vanderbilt is better than people thought they were going into the season. I think that they are going to... There's a chance they beat two teams in the East. I don't think they will. But for, for all the bad that is their roster and the way that the school supports the program and stuff, Clark Lee is doing a lot of good. They are competent. They're competent and they are confident. Two words that are hard to say back-to-back, but they are both of those things. They're schemed well. They're coached well. They play hard. I mean, I watched the the last, I'd say, 25 minutes or so of the Alabama game, and despite the very lopsided score, those kids didn't quit. And that, that is a very baseline expectation, but you've seen Vanderbilt teams quit. Clark Lee's Vanderbilt team is not going to quit against anybody. Even Alabama, who completely overmatched them. I think this is a better or, or a, a bigger challenge than we thought they were going into the season. So I think they and South Carolina are on a similar plane only because Vanderbilt has elevated themselves to that plane as opposed to South Carolina being a disaster, which I don't think they're a disaster. You know, when you, when you look at Vanderbilt, I mean, for a lot of people, if we're being completely honest... You watched Vanderbilt in Week Zero when they played against Hawaii, and you haven't seen them since. And your memory of that is what Mike Wright did in that 63-point victory, 
or that outing where they scored 63. Um, since then, they have beaten Elon, lost to Wake Forest, respectable, lost by 20. They won at Northern Illinois. That's a good team, though. Yeah. And then they just got absolutely obliterated by Alabama. 55-3 to was the final in that game. Had an open date last week. And look, it's Ole Miss and Georgia in back-to-back weeks, so they'll have to update the notes next week about playing back-to-back top ten teams because it's going to be back-to-back-to-back top ten teams. Alabama, Ole Miss, stretch. and then Georgia. I mean, that's a horrible stretch. You build all this confidence and capital, and even the Wake Forest game that you said they, they lost by three touchdowns, they, they gave up a pick six. The game was close, and then a pick six, and then that kind of ended it right there. So you're building all this emotional capital, and the players are buying in, and like you've got results, and then, oh, here's Alabama, a top-ten Ole Miss team in Georgia. Ugh. You know, Alabama, or, uh, Vanderbilt's got some pieces, right? I mean, so A.J. Swan, pretty good results in his debut at the quarterback spot. He hasn't faced the defensive line that's quite as aggressive as Ole Miss's. I mean, other than against Alabama. Uh, clearly he did uh, against the Crimson Tide. Will Shepard's a pretty good receiver. Ray good Davis, player. pretty good running back. Yeah, They got some pieces. They got a really good... Linebacker who averages ten and a half tackles a game, and that leads the SEC in Anthony Orgy. We got some pieces. Mississippi. What is going on here? Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. It's about time. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. couple of random Vanderbilt trivia notes? Yes. Absolutely. Vanderbilt has traveled the longest distance this season to play a football game. Now, you you have to remember... Hold hold on. You have to remember that there was a football game played in Dublin, Ireland this year. It is farther... From Nashville to Honolulu, 4,331 miles, than it is from Lincoln, Nebraska to Dublin, Ireland, 4,097 miles. That's not surprising. People don't realize how far away Hawaii is. It's a long way to Hawaii. Vanderbilt's 53-point win over Hawaii in the opener, 63-10, was one of just six 50-point victories since 1952. They've not had a bunch of big 50-point wins in their history. I can't believe that. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Uh, Vanderbilt won the first... Got a few 50-point losses, though. Yeah, there are a few of those, including one two weeks ago. Vanderbilt won the first 19 games in the series with Ole Miss. They were 19-0 to start the all-time series. Starting in 1894, they won 40 to Ole Miss did not wow. get its first win in the series until 1939. 
Rebels have won three straight and seven of the last nine. But prior to that, and Ole Miss fans remember this far more well than they would like, Vandy had a stretch, and you got to remember, these teams play each other every year. Vandy had a stretch where they won six of eight in the series. Vandy won in 2005, 2007, 2008, 10, 11, and 12. A 19-game head start. Do they still have the series lead? Uh, no, Ole Miss leads the all-time series fifty-four to forty with two ties. How about Houston? What a turnaround! A thirty-three game swing. Houston Nutt went one and three against Vanderbilt. He did. Mm. He lost to him his first year when he was in the going to the Cotton Bowl. Made Tebow cry and lost to Vanderbilt in the same season. The same season. Hmm. So That's after that, yeah. So so Vandy had the early nineteen to nothing lead, and then there was a nineteen game uh, a nineteen game stretch where Ole Miss went seventeen zero and two over the course of nineteen games to make up much they of the made deficit. It up. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. So uh, Ole Miss and Vandy coming up at three o'clock. A little bit, a little bit of a curveball in the uh, TV announced crew. Drew Carter is doing play-by-play alongside Matt Stinchcomb and Alyssa Lang. I don't know where Taylor Zarzer is. Normally he would be with that crew. Uh, you had Drew Carter for the UCA game. He did a game here recently, I think. I think he did the Bowling Green game for State. I think that's right. So Yeah. Uh, young announcer that Borky described as excited. Oh, that guy? Oh, yeah. right. Big energy. Yes. Oh man. God bless him. So for the uh, for the Central Arkansas game, his lead in was something like, "And the vault is rocking." I'm like, "Are you in your living room?" <laughs> no, it's no crowd not. shots, please. Yeah, no, no, it isn't. Uh, All right. Uh, Michael Borky brings this to the table. So if you're angry about this question, you may direct it at him. Well, it's I worded it fairly, so if you're angry, that's a you problem. Mississippi State, last week for the game against Texas A&M, was offering $15 tickets. They are, offering, they are offering $25 tickets for this weekend's game against Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Barring something unexpected, the game will not be a sellout, but it's going to be a good crowd. Probably the best crowd of the season, maybe the best crowd... In the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Possibly the Egg Bowl notwithstanding, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just eyeballed it. It looks like they should eclipse 55. Stadium holds 60, right? Basically 60 on the nose? Yeah. It may have gone down a little yeah. bit with the addition of the the upper deck box yeah. seating that, that's in place this year. Um, Correct. But, yes, basically 60,000. So, what's the issue? Because we can talk a lot about, you know, so expensive to go to a game, and I know some of those expenses are not offset. But when you can take a family of four to an SEC football game for $100, and I know you got to do ticking, t- uh, parking and concessions, and you got to get there and get, uh, it, it's not as simple as it's just $100. Right. But that is far less expensive than at times it has been in the past to go to Mississippi State games when we have seen the stadium packed to the gills, people spilling over, super excited. 
What's the issue? Mm-hmm. Boy, if I knew, I'm pretty sure John Cohen would pay me a lot of money to fix it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it feels like it's a lot of excuses. And it's so difficult to have this conversation and not sound preachy. I hate I hate that. I hate to be the guy who's like, you know. Can, can I change one word you used? Well, there are a lot, a lot of reasons instead of excuses. But now some of them, now some are excuses. Okay. Eleven a.m. is an excuse. You play eleven a.m. games every single season, and have since right. Moby Dick was it, a minnow. Right. Exactly. If you if you if you're mad that there's an eleven a.m. kick, then maybe college football is just not for you. You know. Um. There's always stuff that happens. You know. In in New Zealand, you can watch. It comes on at three in the morning. So there's that, and and but I, I just when I look at at at, at, at football, there's 52 weekends in a year. There are four that you have an SEC home game at your school. Four. That's all you get every season. It's four. And you know, for people to, there's a lot of people who. Their Facebook page talks about what a diehard bulldog they are. Of course, you're the same people who don't know what channel the game's on. But they're going to talk about how much they love their bulldogs. But they're not going to be there this weekend. And so it's a little hypocritical, in my opinion. This is a game, especially these the, the way the schedule worked, it was perfect, right? You had back-to-back weekends where you go A&M Auburn or A&M Arkansas, get a couple weekends off, they're on the road, you have the bye week, and then you come back, you do Auburn, Georgia, and that's that's really all you had to do. Nobody's getting upset that you didn't come to Bowling Green or to Memphis or to East Tennessee State. Nobody cares. It's just hard to believe that you can't put sixty thousand in there for those four games. Now I feel like Georgia will definitely be a packed house, and if State is six and two, when Auburn comes to town, probably might, probably might have a good crowd for that one, but. This is one, it is a little mind-boggling that it's not doing better than it is. It kind of feels like this team has earned a, a packed house. I think. Yeah, they had the, they had the slip-up against LSU. Didn't play particularly well, lost that ball game. But they are huh. who fans have hoped that they've been, right? Yeah. And Hunter says... Well, what's the point in talking about this? Uh, talking about this, what's the issue? Can anybody answer that? I get it. It's a talking point. It's not even so much a talking point. It, they were trying to figure out why. About anything. Yeah, it, we're just we're just we're a talk show. I, I I think the the larger question though is why. Um. Somebody says, and here's the sermon. It's not a sermon. Go to the game. I said earlier in the week. It's tough week, to have this discussion. And and people got mad at me for saying that, you know, go to the game. I, I'm not telling you what to do. Go to the game. Don't go to the game. It's fine. But we live in a state where college football matters. People love it. Absolutely love it. And this is a conference game where Mississippi State can get to 5-1 and one on the year. And you can take a family of four in terms of tickets for $100. I know everything's expensive. I, I, I get it. Promise I get it. I got three kids. I, I get it. Everything's expensive. 
But Mississippi State has done everything that it can to make it as affordable as possible for as many people as possible through some of its ticket pricing and ticket package op- uh, opportunities. And there are a lot of people that have just decided they'd rather watch a game at home. And that that's fine. I will say this. Hey, Dad, you've been going to games in Starkville for a long time. My observation going to one game there every two years, and occasionally more than that, but basically one game every two years, is that the in-stadium experience at Mississippi State is better than it has ever been. It's really good this year. So... Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll talk with Luke Johnson. Big game for Southern Miss coming up as they head to Troy this weekend. He'll join us on the Farm Bureau guest line next. This is a place for crazy people. If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Once again, to the Farm Bureau Guest Line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson joins us right now. He is co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Mississippi. Luke, uh, big one this weekend for Southern Miss. I, I heard uh, earlier this week Will Hall talking about it. Said, you know, we're we're Big underdog, people aren't giving us a chance, but this is an opportunity for our program. Yeah, good afternoon, Richard. It really is. Uh, it's it's an opportunity for Southern Miss to take a step forward. And, you know, talk to Barry McKnight from uh, from Troy today. He was on the Eagle Hour, and kind of the question got asked, you know, this is, is this a trap game for, for Troy? Uh, because they got a big one next week with South Alabama, and Kind of the attitude from Troy is, is they view, you know, this game like Southern Miss. Uh, they were one of the teams that were really excited that, that Southern Miss came into the league. And and so you, you don't feel at all that, that Troy's looking past this one either. So Southern Miss uh, goes over there. And, and I don't know if you remember last year what the final line score was, but you, you look at a, a game last year where some defensive players from Troy really elevated their stats. 16 tackles for a loss and nine sacks against the Golden Eagles last year. That was you know, Ty, Ty Key's first game to start, and it was just really tough. And so the Golden Eagle offensive line, Sam Gregg, they're, they're really looking for uh, for a much improved and almost like a revenge game for an offensive lineman. At 21-9, to the final in Hattiesburg last year, low-scoring game. Southern Miss led it 3 to nothing. Troy outscored the Golden Eagles 21-6. to in the second half, this is a different Southern Miss team, though, right? I mean, isn't it fair to say that they're not where they want to be, but the way they had to play last year because of where the roster was is in the rearview mirror? Yeah, I mean, going back to the offensive line, so they're playing, you know, nine or ten guys consistently now, and they didn't have that last year, and that's what really, you know, in games like this where you have a, a a pretty good defensive front from Troy. I mean, it just where your your guys are worn out at the end of the game. So they've been rotating 
you know, they're, they're starting Barnes, the true freshman. He's, he's at right tackle. They've been mixing some younger guys in. Uh, Calvin McMillan's been playing. Uh, Bryce Ramsey's been playing. Both of those guys are obviously transfers. And so he feels good about his depth. Um, but, I mean, this is still going to be a tough go against Troy's defense with John Summerall and then Coach Wood, who a few years back had the number one, you know, uh, defense in the country at Army. But it is a much improved Southern Miss team. And, you know, like we saw against against Tulane, Richard, they're, they're, they're starting to develop some identity. Um, Wilkie's been accurate, and, and you know, he throw it up to Brownlee, and most of the time, uh, not all the time, he's going to come down with it. And Caston has emerged as a mid-passing threat, and, you know, you, you never know when they might throw the super back out there. But I would expect, you know, the them to attack Troy defensively. There, there's kind of – in the secondary, I should say, there, there's kind of talk that maybe Will Cholo might not play in this game, and that might allow, you know, Zach Wilkie a little more time to throw. But Southern Miss can definitely attack Troy's secondary with, with Caston and Brownlee and some of the other guys in the passing game. So in about the last, what, 35 years, Zach Wilkie is just the ninth true freshman to start, going back to, what, Brett Favre in 1987. In some cases, that has been the beginning of an era of excellence. You think about Nick Mullins, who got six starts in 2013. He's probably the one that stands out the most. Is there, uh, after Brett Favre, obviously, um, is there a sense that with Zach Wilkie, this is the beginning of maybe a long-term kind of special era at the quarterback position? I think he could be very easily one of those guys that you look up and he's had four solid years. And, and really he's impressed Will Hall. I was listening to Scott Watkins from the Sun-Herald talk about this. And, you know, after game one, if you'll remember, um, you know, going when when uh, when Keys got hurt, how they went super back against Liberty and – that's because he didn't feel like Wilkie was ready to play. And he said that after the game. And then Wilkie starts, you know, at Miami and, and has a good game. So I, I think Wilkie has the uh, – he is – what is most impressive about him is even, at, you know, as a, as a freshman, his ability to dissect and, and to be able to, to read. I mean, that's, that's probably the hardest thing with game speed is to be able to read defenses and mm-hmm. not already make up your mind, you know, where you're going to throw it before – before you get the football. So I think he's impressed Will Hall in that manner. And uh, I, I don't see, you know, they've got some guys coming in a couple years, uh, you know, John White from MRA and those. But, you, you know, I, I, you still feel like, though, his accuracy and his arm strength will develop. But, I mean, this is a guy that could start for Southern Miss for every game of, that he's healthy. You mentioned Caston a second ago. He's got 20 catches, and that leads the team by a pretty significant margin. But what about Jason Brownlee? Is he kind of the X factor for this offense, averaging almost 21 yards a catch? He is. I mean, he has the ability to box out. He's at 6'3". Um, he, he caught a, a really nice pass against Tulane in, in double coverage. And, I mean, let's be honest, last year, I mean, his nine touchdowns, Frank Gore threw a lot of those, and it's just with him in one-on-one coverage, beating people. And what what Wilkie's um, ability now, Southern Miss has the ability to throw the football, which just sounds, you know, a given. But they didn't have that for so long. They didn't. They didn't have it, you know, all of last year. And so now, you you have to respect um, Brownlee, and you can't really put him in single coverage. You got to cheat a safety over or doubling. And, I mean, that just opens up other people. And so I think that's where uh, they love to, to, to run the little RPO, slant across the middle, uh, crossing pattern, 
And what it does is when you when you have to move people around in coverage, it kind of opens up the middle, and that's where Caston has kind of exploited defenses because you're cheating on Brownlee. Luke, I know the kicking game at times can be near and dear to your heart. I'm interested in field goal kicker more than punter, although we can talk about Mason Hunt. But Briggs Bourgeois, um, six of seven. I know he'd love another go at the, the one miss that came against Liberty. He's made five straight, including a 53-yarder in that game against Liberty. How big of a weapon is he? I mean, you look back at he, he extended that Liberty game. He had just missed one, and then he nailed a 53-yarder in double overtime to send it to triple overtime. He's been really good for a long time. I mean, he's this third year. Um, he's consistent in the kickoff game as well. And, you know, I mean, uh, Southern Miss brought in Jack Tannehill from Oxford, kid you know. And, you know, we thought Tannehill would be kicking by now. But, I mean, Briggs has really solidified that position, and he's good. I mean, this was uh, – and, and when you pair him with Mason Hunt, who – I'll be honest, like, I'm second behind Ray Guy in all-time punting average. Like, I will probably be third after Mason Hunt leaves because his his uh, his hang time is really exceptional, and he has the ability just to drop it in there. So, the special teams won the game against Tulane, and, and you put Hunt and Bourgeois together. I mean, this is a, you know, a top-tier Sunbelt uh, duo between those two. Yeah, Hunt averaging 44 yards a kick. He's got a, a 57-yarder, nine of his punts inside the 20-yard line. He's got seven uh, punts over 50 yards. Right, let's talk quickly about defense uh, before we run out of time because this is a Troy team that you know, I don't really have it figured out at the quarterback spot. They're not going to light the field up, but they're tough and they're nasty and they're a good football team. Malik Shorts, is he the most important player and he's got the 36 tackles, which leads the team, couple of interceptions. Is he the most important guy, or is there somebody else that you would point to on that defense as the guy that that has to be good? It's, it's shorts, but it's also Santrell Latham. Now that you've lost Hayes Maples and you've lost Clayton uh, Bozeman for the year, yeah. I mean, it's it's Latham. I mean, he's the, he's the centerpiece. And what it's been – when you get all this pressure that they've been getting from the, uh, the defensive lineman, Latham has just – cleaned it up in the middle. You might also look at Avery Hobbes, a guy that's been able to, to put a lot of pressure and get some tackles for loss. But, yeah, it starts with shorts, but we're really it, – it's a unit. I mean, that's when the, the nasty bunch has been good. It's because everybody's, you know, filling holes and doing what they need to do. And so Eric Scott's another guy. I mean, he's he's a, he's a, a lockdown guy. It's already two pick sixes on the year, but allowing, you know, Austin Armstrong to bring pressure because, you know, he's – doubling up in, in, in coverage. So, yeah, you, you feel like um, – I heard somebody else say this too. As nasty as Troy is on defense, uh, they may be that nasty on offense, and this is probably not going to be a pretty game. This is going to be probably uh, a game where, where Will Hall and uh, and John Summerall try to stretch it out. And, I mean, I really think like 21, 24 points might win this one. Yeah. And, and you know w- – I'm sure to some degree Troy's trying to figure this out. How do you kind of identify Malik Shorts? But but Troy's got one of those guys at linebacker as well who's just a, a tackling machine. Marshall, I think, is the last name. Is that right? Yeah, yeah 45 tackles. He's like tops in the Sun Belt in that category. Yeah, he's really, really good. Big one. It's uh, it's coming up on Saturday. Southern Miss on the road, 6 o'clock. The game is on ESPN+. Plus. Familiar name on the call. Will Colmeyer is doing play-by-play for that game. Golden Eagles and the Troy Trojans on Saturday night. Thanks, Luke. All right, Richard. Y'all have a good day. See you later.
Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour, joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. We will put a bow on the Thursday edition of this show when we come back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, your all-access pass to all things sports in Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm. Pick me up, love, Pick me up, love, every day. day. Sports Talk Mississippi one last time on this Thursday afternoon. Don't forget, you've uh, you've still got time. You've got until 1045 on Saturday morning to get your entry in for the Polk's Pick 6 on supertalk.fm. supertalk.fm slash Polk's, P-O-L-K-S. Six games, just winners, tie-breaking score for the... Tennessee LSU game, name, phone number, email address, and you're done. That's it. Straightforward, super easy, and a chance to win a uh, six-pack of Polk's Meat products as part of uh, Polk's Pick 6. Indianapolis-Denver tonight. Denver favored at home, a three-point favorite in the game. Kind of a fun quarterback matchup. Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson. Ryan's been okay. Borky, I, I, I think you thought maybe he was going to be better than he's been so far. Yeah, but the Colts showed you what they can be in their win over Kansas City and just haven't materialized. Yeah. So so Matt Ryan against uh, Russell Wilson. Got to stream that one. So uh, Prime Video. Amazon Prime Video is the way to do that. Those numbers have been huge, by the way. Huge. Continued to be? Yeah. They are. I mean, that's the. I saw something interesting about that. So, maybe not so much here. Now, Mississippi did shut down for a short period of time, relatively speaking. We had to get, you know, special permission to be on road. Some people did. But that was a very short time. In big Let me cities, pretend like that didn't happen. Yeah, oh, well, that happened. Um, in big cities, they they got shut down in certain states too. Couldn't leave the house unless you had this, this, or this. I mean, it, it was there was true shutdown. I have a friend that lived in New York City at the time. He was forgive my language. He was in hell. I mean, it was awful. And so, what did people have to do during that time? They had to get stuff sent to their house because they couldn't go get it right. 
So most everybody had Amazon before the pandemic, but COVID basically guaranteed that the overwhelming majority of people needed access to Amazon to get stuff. And then they start airing football games on it. I had a friend two weeks ago who was like, I can't watch this game. I don't have Amazon. And I was like, you have a wife. You have Amazon. Did he check and find out that he did? Guess what? Upon further review, um, Borky, you have had this in the notes for a while, and I've not seen to it that it gets inserted into the content of the show, but it needs to be. Dr. Justin Turner is Mississippi's chief medical officer, and uh, so week or so old now, he tweeted, guess who's no longer number one in obesity? Yeah! We did it! We did it! We did it! We did it, guys! Mississippi just got word that they are now number five, a testament to all all Mississippians working hard to get better individually and collectively. It's good stuff. Hey, Dad, I feel like you're not taking this very seriously. I'm excited. Man, I wonder who we passed. My guess would be Ohio, because I've been there, and my guess would be Ohio. (laughs) No, it's probably all Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Louisiana. That's That's great news. That's a big jump. Everything's bigger in Texas, Richard. I've heard that. Including the fat people. Mm. This does not and the buyouts. Yeah, this doesn't appear to have been <laughs> updated yet. But uh, Jimbo's going to be no, fat when this is all done. He's going to have $80 million in the bank. Yeah, the formal data drop apparently has, has not come yet, but they have obviously informed the people that are in, involved. So, like, the database hasn't been updated. But, yeah. West Virginia looked like they may slide into the number one spot. Uh-oh. West Virginia, Virginia Arkansas. Previously, previously, Mississippi. Yes, previously when Mississippi was the most obese state, West Virginia, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Kentucky followed. Take country style ribs. Take me home. Just, just keep on singing. It's, it's good. Just go for <laughs> no. it. Let her fly. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. Hey, Dad and Borky will carry you into the weekend tomorrow afternoon. Sports Talk Dream Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Adios. Have a great night. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services A Super Talk Mississippi media production.